Chapter 38 Judas One day a babe was born at Kerioth. His parents, looking forward to the promise of a great manhood, named him Praise. Friends and relatives brought gifts and tribute to the new life that was born into the world. Not so very far away, another babe was born in the village of Bethlehem. Shepherds and wise men brought gifts to this child whose name was called Savior. Many years later, the babe of Bethlehem met the babe of Kerioth, our divine Lord called Judas to be an apostle. He was the only Judean in the apostolic band, all of the others being Galileans. Probably because of the talent for administration which was common among the Judeans, Judas was naturally more fitted to be the treasurer of the apostolic band than any Galilean. To use a man for what he is naturally best fitted is to keep him, if one can, from apostasy and dissatisfaction. At the same time, life's temptations come most often from that for which one has the greatest aptitude. There must also be an inward failure before there can be an outward one. The only failure noted in Judas, as far as the records are concerned, was the sin of avarice. In him this was a kind of a root sin, for out of it, as from a dirty fountain, poured the sin, so great that it were better for that man if he had never been born. Matthew 26, 24. A superficial reading of the life of Judas bases the beginning of the betrayal, the night of the Last Supper. This is not the fact, for the first record of the betrayal of Judas is when our blessed Lord announced himself as the bread of life. The beginning and the end of Judas's act of betrayal were both associated with Christ as the bread of life. The first knowledge of the betrayal of Judas is not when our Lord instituted the memorial of his death at the Last Supper, but when he promised it at the beginning of his public life. Into this incident of the divine life becoming the food of men was inserted the first record of the betrayal of Judas. Jesus knew from the first which were those who did not believe, and which of them was to betray him. John 6, 65. The hand on the dial already pointed to the hour of his death. From that moment on, our blessed Lord endured the presence of the one who would betray him. The announcement of the bread of life was the beginning of the disenchantment of Judas. It was another kind of kingdom our Lord was speaking of than the one for which Judas hoped. This dissatisfaction of Judas must have increased enormously the next day when Judas found that our blessed Lord refused to become a king and fled into the mountains alone. The sixth day before the crucifixion, a great supper was made at Bethany, at which Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them that were at table with him. Mary, realizing the future better than any other guest, and how near he was to his death, anointed him in preparation for the burial. When Judas saw the ointment being poured forth, he immediately set a price upon it. This was the week of price-setting, for in a few days he would value the life of our Lord at thirty pieces of silver. And now the ointment he valued at about two hundred days' wages, for in those days the average wage of a man was a penny a day. As John describes it, one of his disciples, the same Judas Iscariot who was to betray him, said when he saw it, Why should not this ointment have been sold? It would have fetched two hundred pieces of silver, and alms might have been given to the poor. John 12, 4. As jealousy has been described as the tribute that mediocrity pays to genius, so critics may be described as men who have failed. Judas was too materialistic to be concerned with the beauty of the deed. He failed to see that some offerings are so sacred that a price cannot be put upon them. Intimate indeed is the relation existing between acquisitiveness and the betrayal of Christ. The latter is often the consequence of the former. Judas knew only that his betrayal of the Master was near. Mary knew that the death of the Master was near. Putting on the mask of charity, Judas simulated anger that such precious perfume should be wasted, but John gave the reason for his statement. He said this not from any concern for the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and took what was put into it. John 12, 6. 
While Mary in her devotion was unconsciously providing for the honor of the dead, Judas in his selfishness was consciously bringing about death itself. What a contrast between the money box of Judas and the alabaster box of Mary, between the thirty pieces of silver and the two hundred silver pieces, between true liberality and hypocritical interest in the poor. Judas became the spokesman of all those who, through the centuries, would protest the ornamentation of the Christian cult, and would feel that, when the best of gold and jewels were given to the God who made them, there was some slight made to the poor, not because they were interested in the poor, but because they were envious of that wealth. The chances are that if Judas had the two hundred silver pieces, he would not give them to the poor. Our Lord was going to his grave. There would be no chance to anoint his physical body again, but there would be a chance to serve the poor. When our blessed Lord again spoke openly of his death, saying that Mary was anointing him for a sacrifice, Judas knew that if he was to realize anything out of his association with Christ, it must be done quickly. In a cataclysm, something might be salvaged. And at that, one of the twelve, Judas, who was called Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked them, What will you pay me for handing him over to you? Whereupon they laid down thirty pieces of silver, and he from that time onwards looked about for an opportunity to betray him. Matthew 26, 14. Eight hundred years before, Zechariah had prophesied, And now, said I, pay me my wages, if pay you will. If not, say no more. So they paid me for my wages thirty pieces of silver. Zechariah 11.12 Symbolic it was that our Lord was paid for out of the temple money which was destined for the purchase of sacrifices. More symbolic still was it that he who took the form of a servant was sold at the price of a slave. Finally, at the Passover feast, our blessed Lord, after rebuking the disciples' ambitions and teaching humility by washing their feet, announced the betrayal. As the first scene of the drama, when the bread of life was promised, marked the beginning of the treason, so now the upper room and the giving of the bread marked its end. While they were at table, he said, Believe me, one of you is to betray me. They were full of sorrow and began to say, one after another, Lord, is it I? Matthew 26:22. After washing the feet of his apostles, knowing that the betrayer was already in the midst, he said, And you are clean now, only not all of you. John 13.10 It was one thing to be selected as an apostle. It was another thing to be elected to salvation through conformity to its obligations. But that his apostles would know that this heresy or schism or fall in his ranks was not unexpected, he cited Psalm 40 to show it was the fulfillment of prophecy. The man who shared my bread has lifted his heel to trip me up. I am telling you this now before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe it was written of me. John 13.18 The reference was to what David suffered at the hands of Achitophel, which disloyalty is now revealed as a prefigurement of what the royal son of David would suffer. The lowliest part of the body, the heel, in both instances was described as inflicting the wound. In the book of Genesis, it is the heel of the seed of the woman which was prophesied as crushing the head of the serpent or the devil. It now seemed that the devil would for the moment have his revenge by using the heel to inflict the wound on the seed of the woman, the Lord. On another occasion, our Lord said, A man's enemies will be the people of his own house. Matthew 10.36 Only one who has suffered such betrayal from within the household can even faintly grasp the sadness of the Savior's soul that night. All the good example, counsel, companionship, and inspiration are fruitless with those who will to do evil or sell out to those who are bent on destruction. One of the strongest expressions used of the sorrows of our Lord was now used to describe his love of Judas and his freely willed doom. Jesus bore witness to the distress he felt in his heart. Believe me, believe me, one of you is to betray me. John 13.21 The one of you was one whose feet he had washed, one whom he called to the apostolic office of spreading his church throughout the world after the coming of his spirit, one whose presence he suffered so patiently that not one of the other apostles knew who it was. 
and the disciples looked at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. John 13.22 Judas must have been very clever in hiding his turpitude and greed from the knowledge of the eleven. Our Lord, on the other hand, must have treated Judas with the same loving gentleness as the others to have kept his sin hidden. Nothing could have disturbed their peace of soul more than to know that one of them failed the Prince of Peace. They were full of sorrow and began to say one after another, Lord, is it I? Matthew 26.22 Probably the one apostle who did not ask, Is it I? was John, for at that moment he was leaning his head on the sacred breast of our Divine Lord. John was always proud of that fact and described himself always as one whom Jesus loved. Peter, too, however, shared possibly some doubt that he was a betrayer, for he told John to ask our Lord, Who is it? When our Lord was asked, he answered, It is the man to whom I give this piece of bread, and gave it to Judas, son of Simon, the Iscariot. John 13.26 Throughout the first part of the Passover meal, both our Lord and Judas had been dipping their hands in the same dish of wine and fruit. The very fact that our Lord chose bread as a symbol of the betrayal might have reminded Judas of the bread promised at Capernaum. Humanly speaking, it would seem that our Lord should have thundered out his denunciation of Judas, but rather in a last attempt to save him, he used the bread of fellowship. He answered, The man who has put his hand into the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes on his way, as the Scripture foretells of him, but woe upon that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Better for that man if he had never been born. Matthew 26.21 In the presence of divinity, no one can be sure of his innocence, and everyone asked, Is it I? Every man is a mystery to himself, for he knows that within his heart there lie, coiled and dormant, serpents that at any moment would sting a neighbor with their poison, or even God. One of them could be sure that he was the traitor, and yet no one could be sure that he was not. In the case of Judas, even though our Lord revealed his knowledge of the treason, there was still his fixed determination to do the evil. Notwithstanding the revelation of the knowledge of the crime and the fact that his evil was stripped naked, he was not ashamed to consummate it in all its ugliness. Some men turn away from horror at their sins when the sins are put bluntly before them. They might conceivably shrink from sowing their wild oats when such conduct is described as lust and immorality. But here Judas saw his treachery described in all its deformity and practically said in the language of Nietzsche, Evil, be thou my good. Our Lord gave a sign to Judas. In answer to the question of the apostles, Is it I? He answered, It is the man to whom I give this piece of bread which I am dipping in the dish. Then he dipped the bread and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, the Iscariot. John 13.26 Judas was free to do evil, as is proved from the remorse he showed later on. So too was Christ free to make his betrayal the condition of his cross. Evil men seem to run counter to the economy of God and to be an errant thread in the tapestry of life, but they all fit some way into the divine plan. The wild wind roars from the black heavens, and somewhere there is a sail to catch it and yoke it to the useful service of man. When our Lord said, It is the man to whom I give this piece of bread which I am dipping into the dish, he was actually using a gesture of friendship. The giving of the morsel seems to have been an old Greek custom as well as an oriental one. Socrates said that, in all instances, the giving of a morsel to a table neighbor was a mark of favor. Our Lord held open to Judas the opportunity for repentance, as he would do later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. But though our Lord held open the door, Judas would not enter. Rather, Satan would enter in. The morsel once given, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, Be quick on thy errand. John 13.27 Satan can possess only willing victims. The mark of mercy and friendship extended by the victim should have moved Judas to repentance. The bread must have burned his lips, as the thirty pieces of silver later on would burn his hands. A few minutes before, the hands of the Son of God had washed the feet of Judas. Now the same divine hands touch the lips of Judas with the morsel. In a few hours, the lips of Judas will kiss the lips of our Lord in the final act of betrayal. 
The divine mediator, knowing all that would befall him, gave the order to Judas to open the curtain wider on the tragedy of Calvary. What Judas was to do, let him do quickly. The Lamb of God was ready for sacrifice. The divine mercy did not identify the traitor, for our Lord hid from the apostles the fact that the betrayer was Judas. The world that loves to spread scandals, even those which are untrue, is here reversed, even in the hiding of what is true. When the others saw Judas leave, they assumed it was because he was on a mission of charity. None of those who sat there could understand the drift of what he said. Some of them thought, since Judas kept the common purse, that Jesus was saying to him, Go and buy what we need for the feast, or bidding him give some alms to the poor. John 13.28 But Judas, instead of going out to buy, had gone out to sell. Nor would it be to the poor he would minister, but to the rich in charge of the temple treasury. Even though our blessed Lord knew the evil intention of Judas, he nevertheless acted kindly, because he would bear the ignominy alone. In many instances he acted as though the effects of the deeds of others were unknown to him. He knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead even when he wept. He knew who believed him not and who would betray him, yet this did not harden his sacred heart. Judas rejected the last appeal, and from that time on there was only despair in his heart. Judas went out and it was night, a fitting description for a deed of darkness. It perhaps was a relief to be away from the light of the world. Nature is sometimes in sympathy and sometimes in discord with our joys and sorrows. The sky is gloomy with clouds when there is melancholy within. Nature was suiting itself to the evil deeds of Judas, for as he went out he found not the face of God's smiling sun, but the Stygian blackness of night. It would also be night at midday when the Lord would be crucified. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has achieved his glory, and in his glory God is exalted. John 13.31 His death would not be a martyrdom, a disgrace, or an inevitable consequence of betrayal. When the Father spoke of His divine Son at the baptism in the Jordan, our Lord did not say that He Himself was glorified, nor on the Mount of Transfiguration when the heavens opened again did He speak of it. But in this hour, when His soul faced sorrow, His body a scourging, His mind a travesty of justice, His will a perversion of goodness, did He thank the Father. The Father would be glorified by His redemptive death, and He would be glorified by the Father in His resurrection and ascension. 